This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm Mel. I'm Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Simu. You may know him as Jung Kim from the Netflix show Kim's Convenience, or as our next Asian superhero in Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, Yappy! <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, Bro! See, Phil's here. Phil's here. As you can see, Phil is here. He's making Whoa. his presence known to all of us. <laughs> Well, uh, Phil's doing a little tantrum in the background. Okay. I'm sorry for everybody Let's continue. Listening. Should I redo this? No. the next okay. line. No, no, this is great. We have to keep right. it because the world needs to see. All right. <laughs> Let's keep that in. Phil's true colors. <laughs> but we know him as Simu Liu and ABB from the North, a.k.a. Toronto, and actually a former Yappy. Simu was like one of us. He worked a nine-to-five corporate job at a big four firm as an accountant. Deloitte. And- Yes, it was at Deloitte. I know. I, I named it. I named it in an interview a while back, and I was like, I don't know if I should have done that, but now it's out there. Has so anyone actually knows. reached out to you about that from Deloitte? Yeah, from Deloitte. No, but the funniest thing is somebody from the Chartered Professional Accountants Association reached out and was yeah, like, yeah. and was like, hey, uh, would you like to do an interview for a magazine? And I and I was wow. kind of like, I was really taken aback because I was like, have you read? anything that I've said about my career as an accountant. It's basically like all misery for me. So we are sitting with Simu right now in a place that someone has put you up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing in LA? Why don't you just explain for our listeners what uh, you're doing in LA? Well, um, you know, we're, we're preparing to shoot a movie right now. You may or may not have heard uh, what, it, what it is, but um, there's, you know, a certain training component that it naturally will come with films like this and uh so i'm in la i'm I'm, you know doing a lot of uh preparing and just making sure that uh physically i'm where i need to be when we when we roll the camera question why can't you train in toronto instead of la i actually was training in toronto Mm. they found me an amazing wushu coach there by the name of alan tang who's great and and very involved in the stunt community up there but uh at some point we did have to get me closer so our stunt coordinator brad allen is here and um, it, it's just good to be a little bit closer to kind of where those decisions are made and, um, and to be closer to the, to the production office in general. So maybe before we dive more deeply into all this exciting stuff that's happening now, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. And where you grew up, where you were born, mm-hmm. what your family mm-hmm. dynamic was like. Sure. We're going deep, real fast. We're going real deep. Okay, yeah. now I understand. Uh, where, to, where to begin? So I was born in Harbin, China. For those of you who don't know, that's in the Dongbei region or the northeast. My parents, less than a year after I was born, left for Canada mm-hmm. because they had gotten into grad school programs there. It would have been really difficult, I think, to raise a child and do like a full course load at the same time. So they left me in the care of my grandparents. And oh. so I was raised by my grandparents until I was about five mm. and then my dad came back and uh, picked me up oh. so that's that's a little bit about where I came from and then I grew up in the little backwater of Toronto Ontario mm. it's not a backwater it's the fourth largest city in North America yeah. just <laughs> so you know it seemed like a happy ending because you know it was it, it's the idea that my family was spread apart and then came back together but I think as with so many people that are raised in in third culture families especially when you know my parents weren't there for my formative years there was just a lot of conflict but yeah I eventually ended up going to business school doing the right thing or what I thought was the right thing to to kind of make them happy and for me too I mean I thought like that was what I had to do that Mm -hmm. was definitely my prescribed notion of like what success was and then 
ended up uh, at Deloitte, my favorite company in the world. And Janet's. Hello, Deloitte also. alumni. I still get the emails, the alumni really? emails. Do you get? <laughs> no, wow. I don't think so. No, be- because I was laid off, too. Yeah, oh, so it, oh. it's not like... He's on a different list. <laughs> it was not, not how you say... List. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't what I would call an honorable discharge. Uh, so. When were you laid off? I'm, I want to ask a lot of questions about, like, China and also your upbringing, but I'm for sure. curious about the late, latest thing you said. No, for sure. Yeah, no, I was laid off uh, April 12th, 2012 at 3.30 p.m. Oh, oh my wow. God. I remember the yeah. exact... Yeah, because I remember the calendar. I, like, had a, a meeting pop up in my in my Outlook. Yeah. Oh, my God. My Outlook calendar. And <laughs> I, I was And that, it was yeah. with the managing partner. Mm. And so I was like, huh, that's very interesting. And, and I kind of talked to some people about it. But of course, nobody else knew. So they were just like, oh, yeah, he probably just wants to like wish you luck on your next study break or oh. whatever. And uh, so, you know, go up to the office and all. Of, and, and then I see like this very kind of proper looking woman mm-hmm. postured like pantsuit. He introduces her as the woman from HR. And I'm mm. like, oh, shit. oh, I see. The rest of that meeting just kind of was so surreal. It probably lasted like 15 minutes. It was just like, yeah, you're going to get 10 minutes to kind of collect your things. Wait, and then what we did want you, you do? Know. Yeah. What was the reason? for? Well, you, you were a staff. One or two? I was staff one. And um, what I did was, I mean, I didn't... You had to do something thing. bad. Like, <laughs> no, it was, it was like uh, they were making cuts. So there were, I was not the only person let go that day. Oh, oh. so it was a headcount reduction. It was a headcount reduction. But at the same time, it was like, I was probably like at the top of the list. I was yeah. just like... You're that bad? I mean, I'm not, yeah, from, okay, man, I'm not familiar was, with the finance, like... A culture. So, uh, man, it, it, this is actually the first time I'm getting to really talk about it. Because but we're from, because, because you guys yeah, are from, from that, that world. world. And I know that as a staff one, all you're doing is like your work. Like you, right, right, you right. can ask work, really yeah. dumb questions. It's really hard to get fired as a staff one. <laughs> if you, well, okay, if you weren't billing hours. That's usually how they count, right? Right. So, yeah. okay. So here's okay. So a number of things. Let me just start from the beginning <laughs> yeah, to try this. to. Okay. So. I had a terrible busy season. So basically the uh, client that I got staffed on was like an insurance. So we, I worked in like the, whatever, the financial sector. So yeah. I worked on Bay Street, FSM, which okay. is like oh, yeah, kind of like Wall Street, but in Toronto. Okay. And I was staffed on this insurance company where I was the only A1. Mm. And oh, everybody rough. else was A2 or above. And Ooh. so all of my friends and my like people in my cohort were like on this big bank where there were like 10 or 12 first years where they were all kind of like in it together. Oh, and they were together. Oh, so you were yeah. really I was alone. Like, I was completely yeah. alone. I felt like I couldn't ask anybody any questions. We were like stuffed into like just such a tiny room. Oh, it yeah. was like every day in this yeah. like windowless room. They always put like the auditors the in the worst room. Absolute worst. <laughs> so I was already like not in a great position. And then like there's the mental component of just knowing that you're not meant for this job, mm-hmm. right? I was like, I was like a very creative person. I loved brainstorming new solutions to things and I loved just graphic design, you know, like just things that are a little artsier. And obviously the one thing that you're supposed to do as an accountant, like your one job is to figure out what they did in the last year and replicate yeah. the exact same thing. All sounds so fun. Templates. Yeah. Yeah. Templates. Yeah. Templates. Yeah. Ticking and tying. Yeah. For those who are not in finance like myself, what does A1 mean? <laughs> besides the, one. Besides like the steak first, sauce, you know? Like a fir- <laughs> it's like a first year, a first okay, gotcha, year account. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, make yeah. sure. Simi, when did you know that like you didn't want to be there? <laughs> Was it like a day two? Was it like month one after busy season? or? That's a good question. I, I feel like probably... Before busy season, I was still kind of trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. And then definitely when January hit, I was like, oh, geez, this is this is what it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. So the other part of that is I, I failed my first CKE. I don't know what you guys call it. In, CKE? In, oh, oh, okay. Like yeah. certified public accountant. That's what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so you know how there's three exams over three Toronto. years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so our first one in Canada is called the core knowledge exam, oh, okay. which is like 100 question, multiple choice, covers like everything from from audit to tax. Yep. And it's a pretty high pass rate. It's like a 90% pass rate. <laughs> LOL. We're good. <laughs> Hard LOL. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I didn't pass. And was, was that subconsciously on purpose maybe? See, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. I was like, how much of this whole thing is self-sabotage? Like even yeah. picking mm-hmm. accounting as a career path, how much of me knew that that definitely wasn't right? Mm. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the answer. I couldn't. You can only connect the dots After looking back. That. True. Not yeah. looking forward, right? So I had that going against me. I was a poor performer in busy season. And I, I just feel like when that day came, April 12th, 
it was a sure thing that I, yeah. if anybody were to get laid off, it would have been me. <laughs> so yeah, I remember like grabbing my things. I remember like how dead quiet the office was because the lady was standing behind me, and like it was just so obvious what was happening. Yeah. I was like closing up, my like laptop. all eyes on like, you. Everyone's all eyes on you. Like, like, so embarrassed. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I went to I had this one partner who was a good friend of mine and yeah. who had been like just like a good friend and good mentor, and I kind of like went into his office and I broke down. And, I have a question there because I feel yeah. like. Deloitte, you know, talking to you guys, it's like a huge deal. It's like getting out of college, getting Deloitte, or getting a top four. It's like a, you've kind of made it, right? But then now that you were fired, was your first thought to be like, what are my parents going to think? Yeah, I was going to ask, how do, how yeah. was that conversation with them? Yeah, 100%. Um, the conversation with them is that it didn't, didn't happen. Oh, you didn't <laughs> tell them? Yeah, so what? what? <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is classic kind of Asian mentality but okay. it's just like when bad news happens you like try to keep it in as much mm-hmm. as you can yeah. so I, I kept it from my parents as long as I could what actually ended up giving me away was my dad and I we don't share bank accounts but our accounts are linked mm-hmm. and so he saw a sudden influx into my account and he was like where did all this money come from it looks like a severance package and oh. I was like and I, and I stammered something out I was like um, uh, uh, the bonuses, back pay the bonus yeah. or like you know something happened with the study reimbursements yeah. reimbursements and uh, I just like made up this terrible excuse Mm -hmm. and I feel like he was already kind of tipped off and then and then on top of that like it wasn't that I was like I'm gonna be an actor but I was I was kind of like sitting at home I was super depressed and I just like wanted to do things that brought me joy and one of the few things I was like just looking into the whole acting thing and, Mm -hmm. and my goal from the beginning was never like I'm gonna be in Hollywood I was just like if I could be on like a Coca-Cola ad or like a commercial or have one line in a movie like I would be so happy mm-hmm. that was my mentality so I was like it was always just going to be something that I did I you know had my fun for a little bit while I was transitioning between but like the goal was always to get back into the workforce mm-hmm. or go to law school or figure out a way mm-hmm. to get back on Asian track yeah, yeah. Asian, Asian success track, track. yeah so yeah. what was that like with your, I mean, you eventually your parents found out, right? Mm-hmm. This was really hard on them. And I think it was because, it's a tough thing. I was never so stupid that they would, they knew right away that like this wasn't, wouldn't be for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I always showed like academic success, like just enough to keep their hopes alive. And, yeah. and the B minus. It, 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 <laughs> Even or like A minus, yeah. okay, yeah, you know, B+ just not A-. just not A plus, yeah. yeah. And even like getting the job at Deloitte, like you mentioned, like that's a big company, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. And for my parents, I'm sure you know they were very happy to tell that to their friends. And mm-hmm. we all know that's a big part of like you know just like their monologue, the way the that bragging, they, yeah, yeah. Like the bragging the rights, and, and then how they how, take that yeah. back home. And mm-hmm. well, so and so's kid was like there. Well, right. I had my thing for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think that's what made this ultimate disappointment like that much worse was that I drawn it out for so long and been on that track and then and then suddenly just been like I'm in a commercial now and I'm gonna model and act and whatever what was your first gig and the first conversation you had with them I'd started like booking a lot of small things but the one gig that made it impossible for me to hide was a Canadian national commercial for Bell which is kind of like a metro PCS or sprint whatever telecom and it was about to come out Mm mm-hmm and so I was like... Oh, so they didn't even know that you yeah. were acting this whole time. They thought you were going to Deloitte to work. Yeah. Wow. How long Wait, did how, that last yeah. for? I don't think it lasted that, that long. Maybe like a month. Oh, okay. Okay. Like a month. Oh, you booked something in, in a, a month? month? That's okay. great. That's a very yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got really... I would say it's a combination of luck and like... I always kind of had an affinity for it. I would say in, in business school, one of my strongest suits was, was public speaking and... Mm. You know, talent will only take you so far, but I think I had a bit of a natural inclination towards mm-hmm. this sort of thing. Yeah, the complete opposite of bit. being in a room and right, auditing right, right. things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Did you have, like, a moment where you were, quote-unquote, discovered? Like, how did... Did you have an agent, or, like, what was... Were you putting yourself you know, through to I've auditions? Never, I've never been the type to get discovered. I'm gonna... This is a deep cut here, but you remember Hollister, Abercrombie, mm-hmm. back yes. in the days where... You were not. So... You, you know how... Front? But you know how... Oh, Eventually. you auditioned. Did you audition to be? So, so you know how the, the, the mystique around those stores was that, like, anybody, if they were, like, good looking, yeah. Yeah, then yeah. they would be discovered shopping. And people oh, would yeah. be like, hey, oh, okay. would you want to work this. here? And that was like, yeah, yeah. but I knew that I was never going to, that was never going to happen yeah. to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. You know, perhaps as an Asian man, perhaps mm-hmm. as just like a, you know, like an average looking guy. And then, uh, so I, like, 
put on a shirt and tie and walked in with a resume. Mm. And I remember very clearly the manager like looked at me, mm-hmm. sized me up and down and was like, eh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, go find him now but then like I got the foot in the door and I got the group interview and I was like okay as long as I'm in here I'm gonna kill it yeah. Yeah. so I killed my group interview I got the job started working at Hollister transferred to Abercrombie oh. and then became like worked my way up oh. to be the shirtless greeter in front of the store oh how did that happen because you had to like were you just taking off your shirt in the back room or something yeah like, uh, no, it was, it was, <laughs> it's kind of hot in here yeah. <laughs> it was like an additional track that you had to apply to oh, okay. and then like head office had to make those decisions I see. and then wow that's a trip Hollister Abercrombie is a huge deal you know yeah <laughs> yeah kind of applying that to, to my acting life I basically like walked into my first agency cold and I was like this is who I am I'm just starting I have nothing but I will work my butt off for you mm-hmm. and and I promise you I will book stuff and they were like okay mm-hmm. and you know fast forward to like now even or three years ago Chris Lee who's now my manager will tell you that uh, he first heard of me through a cold email that I sent to him at 2 in the morning because I was like, hey, I'm this Canadian actor and I'm super interested in you know going to Hollywood and I have this one Canadian show that nobody's ever heard of called Blood and Water. Would you like to work together? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been my whole MO is like take your destiny into your own hands yeah. and yeah. never, ever wait for someone to hand it to you, you know? Ooh. That's good. Dang. If I ever got Oprah, she'd be like, that's a tweetable moment. It's a tweetable <laughs> moment. <laughs> right? Regina knows. So when I'm 18, 19, I work at what was the Abercrombie or whatever, whatever. Um, and then I graduate and I work at Deloitte for eight months, get laid off. And then within a couple of months, I yeah, I book a, a national commercial for Bell. And then I get a print ad for a bank. And then I get a speaking role on this show called Nikita. All within, I would say, two, three weeks of each other. What? Two, three weeks. Yeah. So what was, were you cold emailing people when you left Deloitte, like between that time period and booking those gigs? How did that happen? I was applying to ads on Craigslist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Scrappy. You were very you resourceful. Were very scrappy. scrappy. I think Scrappy yeah. is like a really Ancy good plays way volleyball. To... And You're so Scrappy. Very... Yeah, yes. Scrappy in all, all physical and email forms. <laughs> but it's That's... crazy because I feel like that when I hear you talk about you're emailing all these like agencies or like uh-huh, these people, uh-huh. it, it sounds really familiar. Like in college, they teach you how to network. Yes. You uh-huh. have to email these companies, network your way in. Yeah. Sure. sure. So it kind of sounds familiar in terms yeah. of that track, right? I would say that's probably my biggest takeaway from B-School because I definitely didn't retain any of the financial modeling skills <laughs> that I learned. I definitely don't know how to do a case interview. I can't project for my life. I can't do a discounted cash flow worth shit. Oh, that's my special. I've heard you're very good at that. I'm like zoning out with cash flow. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, man. In my experience, okay. you're not missing much? that much. I'm happy to be in media. But another question I had for you is that, so you talked about how you booked all these things after you were laid off, but were you like, and you had an inkling when, when you were working, but did you kind of dabble into acting as you were working at Deloitte? Because I think a question we get a lot is that, you know, you, you guys are full-time working women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you guys manage a podcast on top of a full-time job? And sure. like, how do you explore your passion, you know? Right. Or do you have like, a, yeah, other hobbies or ways mm-hmm. to explore? Yeah, yeah. Work? I mean, it definitely wasn't a clean cut. So I was always kind of very interested in media and film. Going to college, there was always like, the, there was a stunt team in Toronto called Team Ryuko. Mm-hmm that would like tour the college campuses and they were like these like kung fu badasses Mm -hmm. that would like flip and do crazy tricks and they were also like working stuntmen in the Mm -hmm. industry so I like absolutely idolized those people I thought if as an Asian man you Mm -hmm. know it was like if I was ever going to make it in this industry it was going to be some sort of martial arts role Mm -hmm. or like I would love to just be a stuntman I would love for a white guy to kick me into a table (laughs) like that would be my dream you know so after I graduated and I started I, I Definitely, you know, went to the stunt classes, Mm, was just like, ooh, this is so fun. Like, wouldn't it be great one day? But it was a very, very far-fetched dream. And then I remember one weekend, I had a friend of mine who was, like, helping to coordinate on some indie movie or whatever. And he was like, do you want to drive, like, an hour north into the boonies and pretend to be a zombie for a day? And I was like, hell yeah. So I actually had my, like, first quote-unquote on-set experience a lot earlier Mm. pretty much like I think it was yeah it was like November of the year before I got laid off so about like like half a year before so you're working still as you I was working yeah so I took a weekend and then you know eventually that kind of just opened me up and I would like go on Craigslist every once in a while Mm. just to be like oh what's what's going on out there and I didn't really act on it until in March I saw this out on Craigslist for Pacific Rim 
Mm. And so that was the first like Hollywood set that I was on. I actually skipped work to be on it, and um, and Again, then it was got a terrible. <laughs> and then got fired. So <laughs> that goes to show you how well I balanced uh, that. Gotcha. Well, did did anyone in your office know that you had this like side hobby, or that you know when you were out that day where you were? I think I I said something about a, a flu or something. Even I thought it was just like such a crazy pipe dream mm-hmm. like yeah. I, like i thought that if i were to tell people they'd be like what are you doing man like yeah. you failed your exam like you should be studying yeah. you should be mm. you should be locking in just like what are you doing and and fair what was i doing i think a lot of people can tell you what you should be doing but i mean it, that's just based off of just what they're used to right yeah so yeah and, parents want, like, stable you know? and they can be you know the, the, yeah they can have the best intentions i still remember that partner that like that friend of mine whose office i was into and i was breaking down and he was like don't worry, we're going to get you back on your feet. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to set you up with another job. I mean, that's so, and, and it's so amazingly nice of him. Mm-hmm. He even like sent me a text message like weeks and weeks and weeks later just to check up and say, mm-hmm. hey, how are things going? And I was like, good. Like I'm thinking of, you know, tra- I didn't tell him it was acting, but I was like, you know, I'm thinking of maybe going back to law school or transitioning careers. And he was like, oh, that's good. But like, you know, you have such a strong base as an accountant. Like I would hate to see you throw that away. And mm-hmm. Like a cult. It's yeah. interesting that you oh had God, this, yeah. like, narrative that you would tell outside people, but then internally you were still following. Like, you had a desire strong enough to be continuing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to how are you going to sleep with yourself at night, right? Yeah. And sometimes you just have an itch. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's something here, mm-hmm. and if I don't address this, if I don't, like, put something into this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. That There's always just that feeling. Yeah. I don't want to get too much into conversations about fate or destiny. Mm-hmm. There was definitely absolutely that feeling of, like, I couldn't turn away, even, even under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Even at the risk of disappointing my parents or, you know, sacrificing our relationship. And we had a very strained relationship for a very long mm-hmm. time. You know, obviously after when it first came out, especially during the struggle years when I was taking all sorts of jobs and like. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I actually want to hear more about this because you mentioned like you got all these, like you got the commercial gig and like, is it blood mm-hmm. and blood and water? Yeah, blood and water was like my like little break, I call it. Got um, it. It happened about two years after I started. Speaking from like a financially stable perspective, like how did you, how are you able to like to. Like Keep if, afloat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you're acting. Yeah. And ha- so I'm pretty sure your parents are like, oh, how are you making money? Exactly. Yeah. Severance package, though. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, so I had a severance package, which I used to get my first set of headshots. Oh, wow. okay. And then it did keep me afloat when I booked the commercial. I mean, I mean, commercials pay well. Mm-hmm. You know, print stuff pays well. Um, when you actually are acting on a big set mm-hmm. and you have speaking lines, you're compensated pretty well as well. So I had like that initial success of like, I think in one month I made like 10 or 12 grand. And then I was like, oh, like. This is that means that I'm going to make like $120,000 a year, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And of course, not what happened. Mm-hmm. Like months, months and months and months passed without me booking anything meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I was like doing extra work again. I found this job that I basically dressed up as Spider-Man for children's birthday parties. So actually, Shang-Chi Whoa. is wow. not the first superhero role that I have played. <laughs> I, I have not, played Spider-Man funny. to many a children's uh, uh, birthdays to their delight. Were you one of those people out in Hollywood trying to get pictures? No, of people? God, no. <laughs> no, I've been conned by those people. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, yeah. The people in Hollywood, they always dress up yeah, as Yeah, you know, like when they're like, they go up to you. So I was on Hollywood with my ex. We were just like walking down the street and we were like taking a photo next to the Chinese theater because mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Yeah. So, so this like Spider-Man comes up and is like, here, give me the phone. He takes the phone from me and then like snaps pictures of us, turns around, like does selfies with him and then is like, that'll be $20 for Spider-Man. Oh. Wow. So I told him to go f himself, but I I ended up giving him like two dollars just for his <laughs> just for his back. shrewdness. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, well done. I know that existed. So so you did this for you did this for birthday parties. For birthday parties, yeah, yeah. I figured it was a way to still kind of you know act, get my reps yeah. as an actor, just mm-hmm. to kind of just shake off that initial greenness that I think all people have when they're put in front of an audience mm-hmm. or like cameras pointed at them. I mean, yeah. You guys, you guys understand like it's impossible not to notice. Mm-hmm. You know. It just over time, it gets less and less. So besides Spider-Man, what else did you, what other jobs did you have? I was a brand ambassador, so I did a lot of, like, experiential marketing activations. Mm. You know when there's, like, cars inside malls, and you mm. had the, the reps that would, like, tell yeah. you the financing oh, plans? And, like, yes, wow. I was that person. I handed out dog food samples on the side of the street. And definitely one of the worst moments for me 
in my life was when I was handing out dog food samples. I had an assignment on Bay Street, and like I got recognized by one of my former coworkers. <gasps> oh, oh, wow. That was like. I would say that was like the hardest moment for me as like, you know, a struggling artist or whatever, mm-hmm. but just being like, what is it all for? Like yeah. mm-hmm. these people, it had been like a year and a bit. And I'm like, these people are well on their way building these amazing careers. Like what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I think the takeaway from it is that, you know, you really, and it's going to sound cliche, but, but it's like, you really cannot compare your journey to somebody else's. It's yeah. a different speed and just different priorities. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that lots of people listening have felt that sort of existential anger when they feel like they're not where they want to be in their Mm -hmm. career or they see like oh my friends are doing these things or they're Mm -hmm. so much further ahead like Mm -hmm. just gotta we gotta stop thinking like that that's really good advice I do want to say that scrappiness I so admire that quality Mm -hmm. when I see it in people and, and I try to emulate it as much as I can too but it's just this idea like you might not give me this opportunity but I will find a way yeah where do you think that came from volleyball I'm just kidding volleyball yeah yeah. (laughs) dive for that opportunity dive Ball can't hit the ground. Um, Pancake that shit. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think it came from my parents. I don't think I ever remember hearing it directly as a lesson, but just understanding that the process in which they were able to come here to North America was anything but, like, smooth. They were defying so much by leaving and then by building a life from nothing somehow is nothing short of the embodiment of scrappiness. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely where it comes from, subconsciously. It's the holiday season and the weather is colder, but running around town from party to party can work up quite a sweat. Luckily, we have Native's festive candy cane scented deodorant, which smells super good, goes on smooth and clear, and doesn't leave residue. Native is a San Francisco-based personal care company that's made a name for itself by offering safe, effective body products at drugstore price points. Their products are aluminum, paraben, sulfate, and talc-free, and filled with natural ingredients like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch, which absorbs wetness. They never test on animals. They offer a wide variety of scents for both men and women. Their classic deodorant scents include coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular scent, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. They also have unscented options for those with sensitive skin or who simply prefer a fragrance-free deo. There's no risk to try. They offer free returns and exchanges in the U.S. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code ABG during checkout. Again, that's 20% off your first purchase on nativedeodorant.com, promo code ABG during checkout. I don't know about you, but it feels like a lot of my friends are now getting on that baby train. If you have a friend who is also expecting or have little ones still in diapers, I always recommend Pampers Swathers. With Pampers Swathers, you can also rest assured that this diaper will prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Swathers has dual leak guard barriers at the legs to help protect where leaks happen most. And they have a blowout barrier, which is an innovative back pocket built into the diaper to help prevent those messy leaks up the back. Did you know that on average, babies will use up to 8,000 plus diapers before becoming potty trained? That is a lot. That's why Pampers Diaper Stash is the hottest baby gift for 2024. So give a gift to a loved one that says, we see you and we've got you. Pampers Diaper Stash is an online diaper fund that all parents with little ones will love. You can organize friends and family to contribute to a group gift of an online stockpile that never has to run out. Pampers Diaper Stash is great because it takes the guesswork out of choosing what size and how many diapers to gift. It's so easy to do and it's the gift that always fits. So we've talked a lot about kind of the transition from accounting into acting. Mm -hmm. Take us deeper into your career now. What was kind of like that next milestone? After Blood and Water, which was phenomenal and I had an amazing time on, I got news that they were auditioning for a show called Kim's Convenience, which was a play. It was very successful in Canada about a Korean family that owned a convenience store in, you know, the inner city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I watched the play and, and it was just this beautiful, beautiful slice of life of this Asian family. And it was representing us in a way that I had never seen. I felt seen mm-hmm. for, for, for the first time. And I uh, was very, very excited to get into that process. Ended up booking that role, as you know. It was actually a big summer for me. It was 2016. And I booked Kim's Convenience. And I booked this show called Taken. Oh. With NBC. Shooting in Toronto. And it was yeah, based on the, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was playing like number nine down on the call sheet. So I was like the tech guy that was always at the computer. But even still, I remember there was a moment where I had to 
potentially choose which one I had to do. Mm. And I remember it being a really hard decision because A, I was a lot younger and a lot stupider. But B, I was my, my thought process was like, what if, you know, this is a great show, but it never leaves Canada? Whereas at least Taken is, you know, it's going to play in the U.S. It's definitely where I want to go. I always had this dream that I would be in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know. And so it was a hard decision. I think I still was always leaning towards Kim's Convenience. But uh, thankfully, I didn't have to make that decision. I was allowed to do both. And it was just this summer of like total sleep deprivation where I was going to one set at six in the morning and then at 6 p.m. was getting driven to another set, wrapping a 4 a.m., sleeping an hour and a half and then back on wow. set again. Like it was crazy, crazy. Did they know? Did they know? That Everybody they were... knew. Yeah, yeah that the productions were like working in harmony with one another oh, and wow. like the pickup, like the van for the one would be waiting for me on the other set so that like... Oh, geez. Yeah, and then I would sleep in the van. I would sleep in the makeup trailer. I would sleep between scenes. Just trying to piece it together. It's interesting to hear that. I think these are things that people don't really think about, Mm -hmm. right? You Mm -hmm. think about acting and it's like glamorized, but there's such a hustle to it. Or at Mm -hmm. least that's how you chose to direct your career. Yeah, and I feel like, well, so much of our careers are just driven by this anxiety of not knowing what's next, right? Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's like they can't even fathom what that. And and it never goes away. Even I think at a a higher level, people are always think that I'm only as good as my last gig yeah. mm. you know how what's the next one going to be it definitely keeps the hustle up but yeah it's like it's very anxiety inducing and i think a lot of times that fear also stops you from doing whatever the next thing is right so mm-hmm. you'll stay where you are and you'll just mm-hmm. be complacent because sure. it's accessible and it's successful in some sure, terms sure. right so you just kind of get stuck yeah. I think a lot of our listeners feel that way, too, with their jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even artists get complacent. You think you're already taking such big risks. You've chosen a lifestyle that is so spontaneous and, and whatnot. But I think even an artist, even I guess there's such talented performers in Toronto that, you know, I personally, in my opinion, should have tried to transition to Hollywood or mm-hmm. elsewhere and, and that haven't. Yeah, right. we're faced with that decision constantly. It's not just yeah. like you make it once and then you're like, all right, I'm... I'm brave now. Right. It's like you you really have to keep making that choice. But I think that's also why it's so important to have representation, right? We always talk Mm -hmm. about representation. Mm -hmm. For you to be that person coming out of Toronto and going to Hollywood and showing that it can be done, I'm sure a lot of your peers are also looking at you and thinking, oh, that's a possibility. Maybe there's a track that I could also take, you know? Thank you. I really, really hope so. And this whole idea of like representation and embracing platform has been something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last couple of years. No coincidence in these last couple of years that I've really really I feel like I've become a part of the you know the Asian American mm-hmm. or Asian Western Asian community mm-hmm. you know hanging out with people like Phil and, and just absorbing what they stood for and the fight that you know he's been fighting with Wang Fu for like 15 years and, and now with you guys and there's so many more examples now but it's just this idea that we've been kind of putting our heads down for a little bit too long and I understand a lot of it's done in the name of humility we don't want to appear too boastful that's very much our Asian upbringing kind of like for us to keep humble and mm-hmm. make it about the work or you know my parents were always put your head down and do your work and nobody else will be able to take that away exactly, from you yep. well I think there's definite pluses to that mentality especially growing up at a time where there was a lot more overt racism and discrimination against mm. us but now we're at a point where like it's like the squeaky oil gets the wheel yeah that can and, only get you so we, far exactly at some point we have to hard. learn to stand up yeah and we have to learn how to build our home here mm-hmm. and I kind of started to realize that just how how much of my upbringing was influenced by things that were outside of my control and and mm. just the things that I inherited just by being Asian mm-hmm. yeah. right and we can go back all the way to things like the Chinese Exclusion Act mm-hmm. to Japanese internment camps and while of course we didn't experience that directly but I think the cultural zeitgeist of today still bears traces of those memories mm-hmm. you know and yep. there's still vestiges even in today yeah I would say the most mundane example is like the sheer frequency that Asian actors and actresses and just public figures are misidentified on mainstream media Hmm. just how difficult it is it to just fact check and make sure that you have the right person or or how often our names are misspelled compared to when you know white actors or white entertainers or performers or public figures some have long ass last names yeah yeah (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix (laughs) Jake Yellenhall. Yep. Always Scarlett spelled correctly, Johansson. probably. Yeah. yeah, like these are all not very easy names to pronounce, right, right. but for some reason, Simu Liu just like fries their brain yeah. and makes it like, what What even is that? Like I don't L-U-I, even know. How to, three what? letters, L- come Louis, on. Simi, yeah. Sumu? Man. Sumu. <laughs> I've gotten it all. I've, 
I've gotten it all. <laughs> so you did speak about kind of like you recognize a deliberate shift into the space where you're starting to represent something greater mm-hmm. than yourself. How did that happen? Was that with Kim, uh, Kim's Convenience? Yeah, it was definitely with Kim's Convenience and, and then just kind of being thrust into that spotlight mm-hmm. at first and being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm being asked all these questions, all these like massive questions about how important is representation. And, and mm-hmm. like, I don't necessarily know how to answer them. And so... At first, I think the inclination is to shy away from that because you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I if I can adequately answer those questions. But then what I saw as I looked around was like, okay, okay, if I'm not super comfortable and he's not super comfortable and she's not yeah. super comfortable, who's going to do it? Yeah. Right. And it was that frustration of like, well, I've never been the kind of guy to just like be a bystander. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be me for hopefully a short amount of time and then, you know, more people, then... It's something that I'm I'm happy to do. And so it's kind of like this whole, you know, I, I hate to make it about Marvel, but with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> is such an amazing line. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like if I get to enjoy the benefits of having a platform, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, there, there are definite perks to my position and, and what I do, then there's also a responsibility. So how can I make sure that I'm mm-hmm. worthy of all of that? And I think it's like in moments where I'm asked to represent and protect Mm -hmm. and uphold our community, that that is something that I have to do. Mm. I think a lot of Asian actors and actresses, when they enter into this space, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes they make a decision within themselves. Do I play the Asian card or do Mm. I not, right? Because there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people that I see in Hollywood that don't even talk about being Asian or not Mm -hmm. proud of it. But I think it's easier because there aren't power in numbers during Mm -hmm. that period of time, right? Mm -hmm. So then it's easy to assimilate into whatever culture Hollywood is already giving you. Sure, sure. To be successful. For certain actors, I feel like if they feel like, you know, in their mind, they have transcended just their ethnicity and been like for lack of a better word, white famous. Right. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Jay Farrow's show called White Famous, but it's it's literally all about his pursuit to oh, become great. white famous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, I'm black famous, black people know who I am, right. but like, I want to be Will Smith, I want to be white famous. Yeah, okay. That's and, funny. Um, and I feel like some of the actors that you're referring to, I mean, it's like once they feel like they've transcended, then they're mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to box myself in. Mm-hmm. And why that's never been the case for me is because I was a kid like I showed up in LA I knew nobody and first person I called was Ken Jeong because Mm. he uh, we followed each other on Twitter and then we just started you know talking exchanging messages and then I was like hey I'm in LA I don't know what to do really and uh, he was like don't worry here's a drive-on pass he was shooting Dr. Ken at the time when she was an exec on and he was like I want you to come anytime you want come to the studio if you have nowhere to go if you're bored, if you feel alone, like, come, we'll hang, watch us rehearse, watch us tape. Wow. Like, this this is the family that I That's extend amazing. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that huge show of faith from him mm-hmm. made it that much easier for me to approach other people. Mm. Like, you know, like Phil, like yes. Wes. I was seeing that kindness repaid to me over and over and over again. These people had no relation to me. They have no reason to, you know, go out of their way to help me or to give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. But... They did. And it's really thanks to all of them that I was able to kind of spread roots here and find a home. And I think a big reason of why I'm here right now. So that's why I feel like I will always represent the community. I will never shy away from representing the community because it it really is giving me so much. That's beautiful. That is very beautiful. Speaking of representation, for those of you that follow Simo on Instagram, we see that, you know, you're... Uh, There's a lot of skin. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're trying to represent the Asian what? men. You're trying to prove that Asian men are sexy, right? Asian masculine is a thing. Fun, sure. F- okay, fun fact. Okay. The way we started this podcast, and I think I've said this before, we were all sitting around late night, and we were talking about how Asian men are hot, right? Mm. And then Phil was actually one of the people that said, I never hear that. Like, that is such a right. strange right, thing right. within sort mm-hmm. of this Hollywood entertainment space. He's like, sure. I've never heard that before. You guys should start a podcast and talk about this. So we are saying this right now. Yeah. Asian men are hot. And we can continue with the shirtless pics and, and, and why it's important. <laughs> what is the reasoning behind you posting a lot of shirtless pics on your Instagram? That's a really good question. I feel like I would do myself a disservice if I said, like, it's for this, like, altruistic reason of like you Mm -hmm. know the truth is it's changed over time I think we all 
know why we post shirtless pictures. We go to the sometimes we go to the gym, do a good lift, you look in the mirror and you're like, feeling yourself a little bit. Okay. You're like, okay. (laughs) Um, And of course there is a piece to that. I really, really appreciate you guys you know, addressing that. Is that, you know, Asian men are depicted a certain way mm-hmm. by Western mainstream media in a way that's very, very damaging. And by the way, I think Asian women are depicted in a very different way, but can also be very damaging. Yes, so I, I think in that way, we're experiencing two different sides of the same problem. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm saying, oh, Asian men have it the worst. Like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But this is absolutely, you know, a thing that happens. Yep. And we all know, for example, that, like, this is just data, but like, when you look at dating apps, for example, and you look at, you know, the people that are swiped on versus the people that are not swiped on, it's like Asian men fall at the very, very bottom. Mm -hmm. Asian women at the very top. Mm -hmm. Now, not again, like, there are unique problems and struggles that both of us face. And when I think about masculinity or this concept of masculinity that I get asked about a lot because I'm the guy posting shirtless pictures and so everyone's like, well, you know, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, Mm -hmm. like, can Asian men be sexy? Are you posting because you want to show sexy Asian? And I'm like, you know, in a way, yes, but I, I really just wanted to show empowerment and confidence. It's that confidence and self-love mm-hmm. that I feel like was stripped away from us mm-hmm. and that we never had growing up because from day one we were being told long duck dong, breakfast at Tiffany's, like small dorky sidekick, you'll never have a girlfriend. And, and just kind of imagine what kind of internal monologue sets in mm-hmm. after years and years of that, right? So I think a simple message of just like, here's like a bunch of hunky Asian guys is a bit of a simple overcompensation but it really for me has always just been about comfort in your own skin you don't need to subscribe to these western beauty standards of like a six pack Mm -hmm. you know in order to be a man or an asian Mm -hmm. man and to that degree you know asian masculinity should definitely not be about puffing your chest out so that's why i enjoy talking about masculinity because i think especially for us it's such a new concept Asian masculinity. Nobody's, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody talks about it. Right. Yeah. And so one of the cool things about it, that is that we can define it. We can divorce this idea of masculinity as something that is very like testosterone or closed off, you know, emotionally distant or like abusive, very like, you know, alpha for the sake of being alpha. And we can really turn it to more positive messaging like be good with yourself, love women, respect women, Mm -hmm. respect everybody for whatever their struggle is and and whatever group that they identify in, and to be vulnerable and to be confident in that as well. So, yeah, that's the conversation that I'm interested in having. Is there anyone in kind of the Asian male entertainment space who you admire, who you feel like represents Asian masculinity well? That's a good question. I feel like I think anybody that's out there... And really, I mean, the word that I use a lot is unapologetic. Mm. But I I look out there and I see, I'll just name drop because they know it. I I see like Louis Tans and and Yoshi Sadarso's like the jacks, like people, clearly they work out (laughs) and are not afraid to show that part of themselves. People like Jeff Yang, who are very well spoken and are very articulate on thoughts of our community, who are unapologetic in offering that. I think Mm -hmm. that is what exemplifies that idea of masculinity for me. Now, that being said, why I think ABG is the perfect kind of platform to be talking about this is that like masculinity should never be a conversation that just men have with other men. How would we be masculine? How mm-hmm. could we be men? Like how, I don't know, you tell, you tell me. I would love to know how can we be better allies or how can we be just kind of together in this fight rather than it being more of like a, a separate thing. Because I feel like masculinity is such a touchy subject because Mm there is a small but very vocal minority that are kind of like very toxic and very hostile towards us. Like a lot of people that like there's a lot of misdirected anger Mm -hmm. at Asian women for Mm -hmm. quote unquote not being better allies or whatever. But really, I mean, to me, I think it's, it's absolutely stupid because it's obviously I mean, we're a product of the system that we grow up in. And our upbringing. And so any anger that I think anybody has should be placed towards that. And least of all towards our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't know. How do you guys feel about this conversation well, of masculinity? To be honest, I think when we had that first conversation, when we first started the podcast, mm-hmm. I didn't know this is a thing. 
to be honest. I'm someone that grew up thinking Asian men were hot from the beginning. I never was that girl that wanted. Appreciate you. You know, we try. I try. Um, so when I hear, like, my other, like, fellow, like, Asian male friends talk about, like, I don't feel desired. Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. these things, I'm just like, what? Like, how? how? Like, why? I, I think you're hot. Or, like, you know, I... I don't understand that, but I think just having that conversation opens the doors to understanding each other. I think in a way, like, Asian community, yeah, we feel like we get each other, we're there to support, but then if you were to divide us up into male and females, do we actually know each other, really? I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we have these conversations with our male right, friends. Right, right. I mean, we, yeah, we brought on some fuckboys to, like, you know, call them out on their bullshit, but, like, that's just, like, a male and female conversation, but, like, Asian male, Asian female, I think that's something we're starting with this conversation to really understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. Because here's the thing. I totally know that there are struggles of, mm-hmm. of being an Asian female that I am completely not privy to. And I would like to know because I would like to be a better ally. And I would like to champion that just yeah. as much. You know, like... It, it, it's interesting because if you think about the difference with Asian male and Asian females that we're on the opposite ends. Like mm-hmm. Asian females, we get sexualized. Mm-hmm. Asian male, you don't get sexualized. So in a sense, we're fighting different fights. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're trying to get more sexualized. We're trying to like be desexualized in a sense by society well, in a sense, right? I like the point that you made about Asian males have the opportunity now to redefine masculinity, mm-hmm. right? Because I think like as someone who's dated all different types of cultures, mm-hmm. I think the stereotype is that the masculinity is about not being emotional, not being in touch with your emotions. Right, right. And oftentimes I think that Asian men, if they're looked upon as very soft, mm-hmm. that's something you can flip and take as an advantage that you have high emotional EQ, mm-hmm. right? If you can be softer, more emotional, more empathetic, make that masculine. Mm-hmm. Like, so that would be one direction I would encourage, I guess. No, I, Absolutely. I, so I agree with you. Because I think, like, if you think about even just being an Asian person, like, we're not taught to really show our emotions, say I love you and all these things. And I think a lot of our men, like, even just seeing how some of my, like, like my cousin and stuff, like, they're not really vulnerable with their feelings and mm-hmm. vocal about it, but you need to be, right? But then I think in, if you look at, like, pop culture within, mm-hmm. like, Asian culture for guys, like, they are softer, right? Or, like, yeah. there's a lot of, like, entertainment that's targeted towards being more emotional or more emotive. Maybe it's out of being more, like, repressed culturally. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like we're in a, a cool place where there's been a lot of messaging coming out of, of all sorts of different types of men, mm-hmm. whether they are more, I guess, what you would say, soft or whether mm-hmm. they're they're harder. I mean, I think you could be, like, a, you're really alpha, but you can be really vulnerable with your yeah. emotions at the same time. So I don't know necessarily if we're more soft, so to speak. Have you ever faced criticism from those within your own community? About being an Asian woman or, like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. I think that goes back to, like, the term ABG, the original mm-hmm. acronym, right? Asian mm-hmm. baby girl. I mm-hmm. think that was always a stereotype towards, like, Asian women who are mm-hmm. who feel a little bit more, like, sexy and playing into this, like, baby girl, like, submissive, kind of cutesy vibe. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. always the thing that I feel like we grew up with. I guess for me, it's maybe a little bit different in Hollywood because Hollywood always depicted Asian women as the one that is overtly sexualized versus mm-hmm. when in school I was like, the white guys don't like me. So Same, it's, a, it's yeah. a little bit different from, like, oh, is that the Hollywood transfer into your regular life? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it did for me mm-hmm. That's for a, a really good point. I would say I shared that same perspective. I always felt like the nerd, super quiet, super awkward. Like, no one likes no me. No one's going to like you, yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, actually, for you, like, as, as an Asian man, mm-hmm. did, did Hollywood's depiction of what an Asian man should be actually transfer into your regular life as a kid growing up? Yeah, absolutely. In Toronto? Absolutely. Yeah. Every single, I mean, every single Asian guy will tell you that, it did. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident to say. I think Mel brought it up earlier, but you were like, one of your Asian friends was like, I never thought of myself as desirable. And mm-hmm. it's that like, that confidence that if you were just like a well-adjusted kid growing up, that you would just innately have because some people will like you, some people won't, but like you'll generally just be, you know, you'll be, for lack of a better term, normal. Mm-hmm. Right. But for us, we just like never knew what it was like to have that confidence. Yeah. We just grew up without it. And I've chosen to see it as it was taken from us based on the media, based mm-hmm. on what they what they put out. What I do now with, yes, like with shirtless pictures, but really just with being unapologetically mm-hmm. out there yeah. and not being afraid to take up space is reclaiming it and hopefully showing Asian brothers and sisters that that space can be reclaimed. You can learn to stand up tall. You don't have to, just because you've been, you've had your head down up until this point doesn't mean you have to keep going. And and it's great. Like I've faced tons of backlash from within the community, which is I think okay. I think it's it's part really? of a conversation. But yeah. um, from I think both sides, from like men who are like he's too soft, or women who mm-hmm. say you know he appeals too much to the like male rights mm-hmm. activist part of like 
you know, Asian masculinity or toxic masculinity, I should say. We think you're doing everything that you should be doing just fine. Clearly, it's gotten you to very great places, right? Thank you. So it's probably just because the landscape is not there yet. And like you said, you're helping to redefine what that Mm -hmm. term really does mean. And I think that's great. The way that you're portraying it is not in a toxic way. It does Mm -hmm. show the softer side, the empathetic side, the side that is loving and appreciative and respective of women. And I think that's important. So thank, thank you. you for doing that for no, our ABBs out there. I think it's so important just to continue. Like you said, it's it's just to continue being open to having these conversations and to be open to seeing and hearing different viewpoints, mm-hmm. which is such a cookie cutter way to, to, I think, wrap up. But at the same time, it's like because we live in an age where it's just like 280 characters and you just like sometimes you just want to sound off because you're on a keyboard and maybe you're feeling a little angry and, and you just like... I'm going to have a mic drop moment. Like that doesn't beget conversation. It doesn't beget Mm -hmm. depth Mm -hmm. or or true growing and understanding. So it's better to sit around a table and and talk like this. Yeah. I have a question though. Did you grow up in primarily Asian spaces? I grew up in with mostly very just ethnic, like inner city type schools. And then it wasn't until high school that I got, took an exam and got into like a placement school, still a public Mm -hmm. school though. And then it was mostly Asian. Got it, got yeah. it. And then in college, I was the president of the Chinese Students Association. So. <laughs> Asian from then on. Yeah. I grew up in Orange County, so yeah, there was not a lot of Asian people. Right, so right. I always felt othered or like lesser than. But then when I started dating, I started dating Asian people. And it was because mm-hmm. I had cousins that lived in like SGV area. So mm-hmm. on the weekends, mm-hmm. I'd go there and it would be like, these are people like me. And then mm-hmm. on weekdays, I'd go back and it's like, people like not like me. And I'm, I'm sure. lesser than or I'm not like desirable. That's so, so interesting. A weird dynamic. I definitely had like a, a self-hating phase where I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna date Asian. Oh, I, I don't want to date Asian women, like mm-hmm. because it was so much like, oh, I didn't want to be seen that way, mm-hmm. or like, I just hated that part of myself, so I wanted mm-hmm. to run away from it. And I think we've all had that experience to varying degrees. But then, yeah, like I hit a point. Hopefully, I think obviously all of you guys did. That was just like, no, this is awesome. Yeah. Like our heritage is awesome. The fact that our parents sacrificed everything to come here and overcame crazy odds is awesome. And, and that to me just defines our identity. And, and it's so cool to be able to have these conversations that define our identity. I'm in a much better place with it now. We chose to appreciate and love ourselves. I think there are a lot of self-hating Asians yeah. mm-hmm. out there. And mm-hmm. we chose it before it became a sexy thing, mm. which now it is to be Asian in entertainment in, in Hollywood. But I would, yeah, and I would also say it is helpful to be more open-minded because there definitely have been times where I feel like I don't belong in one, but I also don't belong in the other, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not white enough and you're not Asian enough. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love that I'm seeing about the growth of the community and how things are changing is Mm -hmm. that there is a wider embrace of different types of backgrounds. Being Asian means many, many different things. Mm So I know for young Asian boys in school, a lot of them would be picked on because the easy thing would be to say like, oh, Asians have small dicks, Mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. I feel like for an Asian man that's just kind of still growing, it's like, oh no, is that true? I don't know. Yeah. They basically neutered us without even knowing anything about us. um, Did you ever drop your pants and just show I I didn't want to get expelled. I was too busy being like a relatively high achieving Asian kid. No, I think you you hit the nail on the head and we didn't kind of address it sooner because it's an uncomfortable topic just because it's a completely untrue, but for some reason is so pervasive. Yeah. It's like, it's like hand in hand, like Asian men, da 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 da. Yeah. That's what like I, I find so infuriating. I was witnessing a bar fight in K Town the other day between a white guy and an Asian guy. And it was like the last thing that the guy said, just just you know and he was drunk, so whatever, but like still, like that's the thing that he holds up. Mm. Yeah, but like you got a tiny dick. Mm. And that's that last knife mm. you know, that's that like he just really wanted to get that in there. Growing up with that just feels like the whole world at any point could just like thrust that knife oh, in you yeah, and twist yeah. it any way that yeah. they that they wanted. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what it like I don't know. I like did I grow up thinking that maybe everybody else had like penises down to their knees? I was like, you know, I think like, mine looks pretty normal. I don't know like 
what kind of dicks are you guys walking <laughs> yeah. around with? It wasn't until much, much later that like, and that's, that's the thing, like over time or over, I guess, experience or whatever, you kind of learn or if somebody's, you know, a partner says something and you're like, oh, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just like, yeah, like ladies, have you <laughs> just put it out there? Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, from my personal sizes. experience, it's not, yeah, that is not, uh, or it is definitely a myth. Size varies across all different ethnicities. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jan- Janet would know of the three yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah, I, most I like, experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I personally, I'm not a size queen. Size queen. <laughs> it, it is a term. That's true, too. Size is not the thing that matters the mm-hmm. most, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I disagree. I don't think this is a true myth at all. I've yeah. been the only Asian men, so I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to, to yeah. be honest. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. it's like pornography. Well, yeah, true. What, yeah, porn, porn is not the best uh, I would say, yeah, reference point. I think brand. everybody feels yeah. bad when they yeah. watch porn. <laughs> They're just like, huh. I'm not looking for like a 12-inch dick either, though. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's not the thing that like women would find attractive. But even if it were, it yeah. is not true that yeah. Asian men have small dicks. Yes, I would say, yes. The that's a conclusion. Yes. I would agree with that too. I appreciate that. Is there a stere- as like a sexual stereotype about Asian women that's, uh, that's also like you get really frustrated with? Or what did someone say to me the other day? Oh, you mentioned someone about like high pitched voices or something like that. My last, mm. my old coworker, she was like, "Oh, don't you like moan like those Japanese pornos?" I'm like, "Oh, I, that you become like that really dainty, yeah. like, easily stimulated kind of thing." Well, not that. That's fine, but it's like, <laughs> it's more like you know how like you watch Japanese porn and the girls are like yeah. screaming, like they're hurting in pain and just like over oh. the top. A really dramatic yeah. kind of thing. And I was like, no, we don't all sound like that. Does any I was like, does anybody want <laughs> like to someone touches you in demonstrate? Your face? <laughs> no, I don't, no. no. I mean I'm pretty I sure. I can't do it because I don't have the vocal register. <laughs> I can't do it. Otherwise but I would try. Pretty sure, like, you know. I think it's more oh, oh sorry, this is the stereotype. For Asian women, based they're like saying, like, oh, we're not very active in bed. Like we just lie there uh, and like submissive. Submissive. Yeah. I'm like, that is like totally, starfish. Yes. I don't think that's true. That's I don't think that's true. Like, not true at all. Yeah. No. So, yeah, it's, like, something I think we women face. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that true for you? No, yeah, no, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> or, not true. Or from, like, other dudes that you've talked to, other bros, that are no. like, oh, yeah, Asian women are always, what? Uh, nope. Uh, I wouldn't. I I haven't heard too much. Uh, I hear. And, and like, I would say, like, that that specifically is definitely not true. Well, I guess another stereotype we have being Asian women is, like, we have small boobs. I mean, I have small boobs, so I could say that's an insecurity I actually face. So, I don't know. You guys are more bigger than me. So. <laughs> Mel just keeps staring at our boobs. Right I know, I know. I live with, like, this. Uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you, what do you, what do you guys, what do you guys say to that? What do I say to that? Um, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's generally, like, I think yeah. petite, more petite, right? Yeah. But, like, um. I take comfort when a guy goes and I go and ask him, are you more of an ass guy or a boob guy? He goes, ass. I'm like, yes. Well, yeah, I like yeah. I like ass more because ass is a muscle that you can actually work on too mm. to like build, and a muscular booty is is great. Yeah, but you can't do anything about your boobs, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I guess you could. You, yeah, if you, you could. had money. Yeah. You know, we could talk all day about yeah, like the the penis size or whatever. But like, so what? This idea that like that is somehow tied into your worth as a man or your worth as a woman is so stupid yeah. and so troglodyte that like Ooh. you just have to <laughs> big word. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I don't know that one. That was my <laughs> word of the day. So you What's know, troglodyte. Troglodyte. It's just like very Neanderthal, very like oh, just primitive. I see. Troglodyte. And that we need to obviously we need to we need to move past that. But also like these stereotypes are harmful and and yeah. untrue. Yeah, it's also kind of weird for another guy to be like, "Your dick is small." It's like, okay, did you yeah, watch yeah. me pee? It's or about like, power. Was, it's about it's about power, and it's about like even if you're you know you're a white guy with a tiny penis, you still like have that. Yeah, you, you know you can still claim something feel like you can claim it just yeah. because of the stereotype or just right. because you can invoke that for some reason i think is really is, is pretty pretty terrible and troglodyte and troglodyte <laughs> All right, you want to jump right into it? Obviously, everyone knows now you're our new superhero. You're Marvel Shang-Chi. How does it feel to be our first Asian superhero? I think it's like first Asian title superhero in the MC because there's there's others mm. there's been others before me there's Benedict Wong who plays Wong oh, yes. mm-hmm. there's well Randall plays Jimmy Woo who's like you know a shield agent there have been uh, Chloe Bennett Ming-Na Wen like there have been others before me and and, and I want to pay respect to that but I also you know I understand this is a big moment it honestly I can't even describe what it felt like to get that phone call and I just feel like in the two months since I got that phone call I'm still living that high Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that high will ever go away I mean I feel like I've won like the lottery of all lotteries really just truly like privileged and honored to be in this position and like ready to just get to work you know I feel like 
there's been a lot of like talk about stuff. I'm ready to just kind of shut it all away and, and get down to it. How do your parents feel now? I think, you know, going through Deloitte, getting laid off and now like and working hiding at, all this. Working Spider-Man. Right? Hiding all that stuff <laughs> and now getting like a really incredible role. Like what were yeah. your parents' reactions yeah, to they're, it? Yeah, they're so happy and, and I can feel like just an improvement in their mood too just because I know like my mom in, in particular is someone who expects so much of herself and, and at the uh, she brings a lot of work home with her and not just like the physical work but the anxiety mm. and the frustrations and so we were having lunch the other day and she was like, I just don't care anymore. She's like, I don't care if my boss gets too much credit or if I don't, you know, like yeah, I'm not like well represented in a meeting or I don't say the things I want to say. Like, I just don't care anymore. I'm just going to retire. My, my kid is Shang-Chi. She literally said that. Wow. Just for me to be able to kind of give that Jesus. to her and, 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 you know, they were even talking about retiring early potentially. Oh. Like that's, you know, if it's all I've ever wanted to do. So it really has been amazing for all of us. I will say they probably read online comments a little bit more than they should. As we know, I think a lot of a lot of our parents are very overbearing, but it's because they care. They yeah. really, really deeply care. But, <laughs> you know, obviously there's been, you know, there is a very vocal minority of, of people, mostly from China, who are not excited about Shang-Chi and, and for whatever variety of reasons, some of it having to do with me, some of it having nothing to do with me. But uh, my parents have basically read all of it. And I'm like, don't worry. We just need, like, we just need the movie to come out. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. We'll win them over. Changing the topic slightly, we all watched Black Panther. Mm-hmm. It was a huge movie for the black community. Like, Do you feel a sense of weight or pressure? I guess to do the same for the Asian community? Weight, yeah. Pressure, no. I feel the weight of it because I feel, I'm going to quote Hamilton here, but I, I feel like history has its eye on our project. I feel like there is something special about it but do I feel pressure I, I don't think it's pressure I think it's like it's privilege I don't know it's it's just this amazing feeling of like we get to we get to do this yeah. there isn't a doubt in my mind that we can do it and execute on every level I mean I mean everybody that I've met whether it's Marvel or our project specifically has just been absolutely phenomenal we're all on the same page with where what this person want, you know ought to represent or what the movie ought to represent and there's really just no doubt in my mind that it will it will be big yeah, yeah. it's gonna be huge we're yeah. like super that's, the, that's that unapologetic confidence that i'm talking yeah, about right absolutely. like we don't we don't Own have it. time mm-hmm. we don't have time to second get we can't afford to have those thoughts right now in this right. moment of yeah. our in this juncture of our culture like exactly. we need to charge forward yeah onto the breach so now you're like sitting on cloud nine you're literally people see you as like an invincible type person what are some things that keep you up at night what are some insecurities that our Asian Marvel superhero has? It's a deep question. Um, oh my god, how much time do you have? Uh, my face is too wide. My eyes are too small. My 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 uh, um, um, my legs are too short. Um, these are all the, so the those Chinese are all just like yeah yeah the Chinese <laughs> things that my China. mom made me very very my mom especially makes me very aware of. <laughs> Your legs are too short. I'm like okay. You gave them to me. That's your fault. This is your fault. (laughs) (laughs) On a bigger scale, I think it's, you know, of course, like I mentioned earlier, it's about what comes next. Mm -hmm. And my dream, like my number one dream, the one thing that I thought would never happen in a million years was to get to play a superhero in the MCU. So having reached that now, how am I going to... Where do I go from here for mm-hmm. me? How do I continue to set goals and um, continue to, you know, represent the community and, and break barriers? And, and and also just like, how am I going to just like do laundry? How will life change? <laughs> um you These know, are as, things as that things our superheroes busier. worried about. <laughs> Laundry, yeah. No, this is a, it's a real it's thing. Good, like, yeah, like, you know, obviously, I've been given such a tremendous opportunity and it's such a privilege to be in this position. But obviously, there is going to be some things that change with my life and and yes we need to be ready to you know change our lives for the better at any point but there will be a sense of mourning for the life that I had before Mm -hmm. this like you know simpler time when maybe like things were a little bit more manageable and I think when that movie comes out there will be a part of that life that can't happen anymore yeah Mm -hmm. and so there's there's a bit of a somber thought of that but I mean again how often how often do we get this? Oh, yeah. And how often will I get to do this in my life? So yeah. with all of that in mind, I still 
will gladly report to work on the first day, will gladly report to training, and will give everything I can to make sure that this movie is, is the most successful that it can be. I think you are the, the perfect candidate, the perfect person to have been picked for this movie. And we all, the whole community, is incredibly supportive and, and backing you up for this. So, yeah, we're super excited for you. Yeah, we'll all be assembling to watch the movie. <laughs> uh, you got that quote. Okay, okay, okay. When does it come out? So we're going to do a quick game here just to wrap this up. We're going to play a game of Would You Rather. <laughs> All right. You okay. want to go first? Sure. Would you rather uh-huh. be an accountant again or have this movie tank? <laughs> oh, my God. If I do it, it the movie definitely tanks. If it, yeah. If it you already know that's going to tank. I would be an accountant. <gasps> this movie needs to do well. Wow. It's more important than me. That's, that's weight. That's the weight and <laughs> possibly the pressure. Okay, next question. Would you rather dump someone or be dumped? Oh, oh these are so these these are hard. <laughs> having having been on the side of both, I will uh, by a very slim margin to dump someone. I think to 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 be the one instigating. Okay. But but it still it sucks either way. Okay. Um. Would you rather eat shit flavored chocolate or chocolate flavored shit? Shit flavored chocolate. Good answer. Because <laughs> it'd still be chocolate. It'd still be chocolate. All right, next question. Would you rather have your soulmate or dream job? I would rather have my dream job because my soulmate should be me. I don't mean that in like a narcissistic way, but like self-love, you should be, you should be yeah. good with yourself. Like you should not ask for somebody to complete you. Ooh, okay. So I would rather have my dream job. That's a pretty good answer. Okay, um, would you rather have finger-sized nipples or nipple-sized fingers? Uh, 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 finger-sized nipples, because then you could hide them a little bit better. And and I, and I feel like they wouldn't impact your everyday, because I think if you had nipple-sized fingers, you would, like, it would be so hard to even pick up a can of soda. Yeah. But what if you, I mean, you had to be shirtless for this movie, and everyone <laughs> saw your finger-sized nipples. Oh, you green screen. <laughs> Post-production. You can de-age someone, like, 50 years these days. You think they can't remove massive nipples? <laughs> We took out Ken- Henry Cable's mustache that we just CG'd it off his face. Dang. So, you know, okay. <laughs> we right. can do anything. Last question here. Would you rather have a one-minute conversation with your past self or your future self? Future self. Why? Because I don't, I don't know anything about him. I, I would learn more from future self. Mm, great answers. Okay. Well, that wraps today's episode. Thank you so much, Simu, Thank for you. being with us. This was fun. You can go catch him on Kids Convenience on Netflix or Marvel Shang-Chi in 2020. 21. Oh, my God. February 2021. That's my 10.30, by the way. Sorry. I'll plug in for myself. The plug in. <laughs> plug for Mel's 30th birthday. 30th birthday. <laughs> so when I turn 30 in 2021, that's when Shang-Chi comes out in February. Boom. Done. And until then, you can continue to find ABG on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and all of the other broadcasting platforms. Uh, we're on social as well. Handle at Asian Boss Girl. And you can find Simu at what Instagram handle? Simu Liu. L-I-U. L-I-U. S-I-M-U-L-I-U. Yes. Yeah. Easy enough. Well, thank you, Simu, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.